This EHIV Review Podcast is presented by DKB Med Radio. This patient is Central American. He's an immigrant. And there is a lot of concern often in immigrant communities who have not had access to healthcare that this care will not be available or there will be a lot of high costs associated. Clinical considerations for Latinx immigrants. Welcome to EHIV Review. Latinx immigrants living with HIV, many are undocumented. Many do not speak or understand English. Most do not understand the medical system, and many do not trust it. What do clinicians need to know to better manage the health of this special population? That's what we're here to learn about today. Our guests are from the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, where Dr. Kathleen Page is an associate professor of medicine, and RN Owen Smith is pursuing a PhD in nursing. For our guest disclosures and additional CME information, please go to our website, ehivreview.org, and click on the Volume 6, Issue 12 link. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of EHIV Review. Dr. Page, Owen Smith, thank you both for joining us today. Hi, Bob. Thank you so much for inviting us. Thanks, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here with you and Dr. Page today. Let's start right in with our first learning objective, the most common challenges to providing HIV care for undocumented Latinx individuals and methods to improve their adherence and engagement in care. So take us to the clinic, if you would, please, Dr. Page, and start us out with a patient scenario. Let me discuss a case that I recently saw. He is a 35-year-old, uninsured, bisexual, Latinx, Spanish-speaking man from Central America who was recently diagnosed with AIDS, cerebral toxoplasmosis, and also had a positive quantiferon gold TB screening. He was admitted to the inpatient HIV service and was started on treatment for toxoplasmosis, treatment for lane TB, and antiretroviral therapy. The hospital team is starting to plan for discharge and has contacted me to discuss the outpatient follow-up. This is a patient with a lot of HIV-related complications. He's coming to you now for outpatient follow-up care. What do you see as his priority medical considerations? Well, I think the most important thing is really making sure that the patient understands what is going on and what the care is for the short and long term. For example, he clearly needs antiretroviral therapy, which was started in the hospital, but that places him at risk for immune reconstitution syndrome, and therefore he's going to need very close follow-up. In addition, he's taking a lot of medications and there's a lot of risk for drug interactions or side effects and toxicities or not even being able to tolerate the medications. So to me, the most important step is really sitting down with the patient and really giving him a lot of time to ask questions and making sure he really understands the short and long-term plan. This patient only speaks Spanish. Assuming the clinician doesn't, how can you be sure the patient understands what you're trying to tell him? One of the strategies that could really help here is having someone who is fluent in Spanish who can have this conversation with the patient. Alternatively, we can use interpreters for sure. This conversation needs to be done either with a medical interpreter or someone who can speak the language fluently in the care team. The latter is generally better if possible because it gives the patient more opportunities to really ask questions without a third party in the middle. Uh, assuming, one way or another, you overcome the language barrier, how do you get the patient to open up to you? What techniques have you found to be successful? What I often do is ask the patients what their biggest fear is. And sometimes you're surprised.
surprised what patients will tell you. What is it that's really in their mind? And I don't make any assumptions. Clearly, from the medical standpoint, we are concerned about him taking his medication, starting antiretroviral therapy. But before I get into that discussion, I like to understand what the patient's biggest fear is, because I think that provides a, a really good insight as to how to approach this. And then the other thing that's incredibly important in this case, this patient, as I mentioned, is, is Central American. He's an immigrant. And there is a lot of concern often in immigrant communities who have not had access to healthcare that this care will not be available or there will be a lot of high costs associated. And so I think it's important to be specific and clear because the patient may not ask, they may be afraid and they may have not asked to say, this care is going to be available to you regardless of immigration status and it's free. If I may, doctor, let me add a hypothetical complication to our discussion. Let's say that prior to discharge, you're told that your patient feels that his inpatient regimen has too many pills, and he doesn't want to take them. He's going to transition to your clinic very soon. How would you address this challenge? Yeah, this is a very common concern for people who are on many medications, and this is common, again, for people who present late with HIV and multiple comorbidities or co-infections. So the first step is to talk to him and ask him, what are your concerns? And especially, which pills are you worried about? Is it all of them? Are some of them causing more concern because of the size, because of side effect profile? And in that conversation, we may be able to sort out and explain to him what the pills are for each of them and try to see if that helps him understand why he's taking what he's taking. The other thing is to explore the social situation because certainly I have heard that a lot of patients, when they have a lot of pills, they just worry that this is not going to be feasible for them, either because, for example, some immigrants share living spaces with many others and they feel like they can't keep these medications perhaps confidential from their other roommates. Others may be working long hours and they feel that if they have a regimen that requires them to take pills many times a day, they may not be able to do so because they're at work. So again, without making assumptions, asking the patient and, and trying to understand what the concerns are is, is the first step. And then explaining that ultimately most patients with HIV are able to take very few medications, often just one pill a day. But before we get there, we need to treat some of these comorbidities, et cetera. So that as his opportunistic infections like the toxoplasmosis, the lean TB is treated, those medications are not lifelong. They're only temporary. And as the CD4 count comes up, they will be discontinued. And finally, giving him the hope that there are not only single tablet regimens for HIV that may be appropriate for him in the longer term, but also injectables in the case that he really doesn't want to take any medication. So there's a lot of options for him and a lot of hope, but the key here is for him to understand that, you know, it's, it's a gradual process. First, we have to treat the main issues at hand, and then we can transition to a simpler regimen. Once this individual transitions to outpatient care, it becomes very important to prevent any lapse in his therapy. How should the clinical team approach this? What support can they provide? Uh, Owen Smith, your thoughts. Where would you start? Assess the immigration status of the patient. Why is knowing his immigration status so important? Because that impacts the insurance coverage this patient has access to, the social support, the social context of the patient. Ideally, before discharge, we start the process for the outpatient plans by having somebody either from the inpatient team or the outpatient team initiate 
if the patient is undocumented, initiate an urgent ADAP application to ensure that the patient's coverage for their medication starts immediately so that they can get their medications when they go home. ADAP, that's the AIDS Drug Assistance Program funded by Ryan White at the state level. You wrote about it in your newsletter issue. So after you've determined his immigration status, what else should the team be focusing on to help him maintain his treatment? As Dr. Page mentioned, the medications can be kind of overwhelming sometimes for patients, especially if they've never been on medications before. And so doing things like filling a pillbox possibly with the patient, going through the medication reconciliation, and really discussing what's the rationale behind the medications they're taking, and realizing that everything is so new, everything could be so complex for this patient. This is their first time engaging in the healthcare system, navigating it, understanding all the different specialists they're seeing, the medications they're taking can be very complex. And one thing that can help, in addition to speaking with a Spanish-speaking provider, another thing that can help is to have somebody like a bilingual patient navigator or a nurse or somebody that can come from the clinic that they're going to be going to to meet with them inpatient. And that can really help in the follow-up in motivating the patient to come to their next appointment and to address some of the issues that they may not have gotten to discuss with the inpatient team. Sometimes if patients like this patient had many complications, opportunistic infections, they may have been in the hospital for a long time. And so when they're coming out, it's possible that their housing status has been affected by this. It's possible that their phone, may, they may not have been able to pay for their phone. And so to, to know how to contact the patient, where they're going to be, is really important so that you can make sure that they're able to make it to their follow-up visits. Also assessing their level of stigma that they have or fear of disclosure. Are they planning to tell people in their family or their friends, or are they very afraid of that? Because that could influence their decision to come to the appointment afterwards if they're afraid that they might be seen. And then finally, the mental health and trauma and, and possible substance use needs that this patient has or may have is really important to discuss those because this whole experience can be very overwhelming and their past experiences of trauma and substance use can really influence whether they're going to be able to follow up consistently with the appointments that are coming up. So addressing that and making a plan as you go to outpatient care, I think, is very important. Thank you, Owen. Let me ask you a hypothetical. Let's say the patient is discharged, and he's been following up with his appointments, uh, at, at least initially, but then he begins missing appointments. You've been able to reach him on the phone a couple of times, but you're left with the impression that he's struggling to stay adherent to his medications. And during your last phone call, he tells you he recently began working again. So my question is, in these circumstances, what can the team do to help him improve his adherence? It's really important to understand the, the social context and the competing demands that our patients have, especially the undocumented patients. The work needs and the need to support family, perhaps in the home country, definitely become first importance to our patients. And so if their family is in need of financial support, then if they don't have work and then work comes up, that might get in the way of them coming to an appointment or picking up their medications. And so it's important to think of different innovative ways to address the needs that the patient might have, whether that's telemedicine, home visits, possibly having nurse visits and doing labs, even if they're not able to come to the regularly scheduled appointment with their provider. Just different ways that you can help them address those competing needs. Different ways, such as? Other ideas would be doing pill boxes, like I mentioned before, possibly a direct observed therapy program, talking with the provider about their priority medications, if there's any way we can reduce the pill burden. And then another thing is that the, the medication refill getting their refills from the pharmacy can be quite complicated for anybody, and especially for individuals who are not proficient in English and who have never had medications before. One thing you can do is you can work with the pharmacy perhaps to synchronize their medication refills if they have a lot of medications that are coming due at different times, 
Also, we worked with our pharmacy to create auto-refill program to have the medications refilled at the same time every month in collaboration with the provider to make sure it's the right medications. Another thing that this patient might need is a support group for mental health support. So just providing those services if possible is really helpful. And then one last thing that we've seen a lot of times is that Especially in the beginning, if a patient's medically unstable to work or not able to work yet, our undocumented patients are not able to access disability or some different financial assistance programs on employment. And so if we're able to use funding to help them with rental assistance or possibly applying for a housing program, then that can be really important to help them to have that financial stability to be able to focus on their health and focus on taking their medications and coming to their appointments until they're medically stable enough to be able to work. Thank you, Owen, and thank you both for bringing us this interesting case. Let's review what we've been discussing as it applies to our first learning objective. Describe the most common challenges for providing HIV care for undocumented Latinx individuals and methods to improve their adherence and engagement in care. What are some of the key things our listeners need to know? Dr. Page, start us out if you would, please. I think it's very important to consider the immigration status and particularly the legal status because that will directly impact access to insurance and public assistance. So it's critical to, in a sensitive way, assess the patient's status and then recognize that there are many options, even for undocumented immigrants, particularly through assistance programs such as ADAP. Another important thing, as we mentioned, was just to talk about what the fears the patient might have, if it's the fear of disclosure, if they're confused about their medication, have any misunderstanding, and just to be able to help them with the complexity of everything that's going on. Ensuring that they're able to speak to a Spanish-speaking provider or working with a navigator could be really helpful for them as they're getting ready to transition to outpatient care. For many undocumented patients, this may be the first time receiving care in the United States. So along with language barriers, it's important that we help them navigate our complex medical care system, which is very different and can be very challenging. Bilingual care teams and patient navigators are essential in helping address some of these challenges. Another area would be talking about nursing adherence visits, pharmacy auto-refill programs, directives of therapy, telehealth, different innovative ways to help patients to get around the barriers that could be work or linguistic challenges for them. And then finally, like in any patient, screening and addressing mental health and substance use issues is really important as these are needs that are often unmet and can definitely interfere with follow-up and adherence. And we'll return with Dr. Kathleen Page and Nurse Owen Smith in just a moment. COVID-19. How is the pandemic affecting people living with HIV? Is there increased susceptibility in this population? Does HIV infection increase the chances of more severe disease? Or is it possible that art adherence may be protective and might even reduce disease severity? What does the evidence say? And how is the pandemic affecting frontline practitioners in their clinics? That's the focus of EHIV Review's special edition, HIV and COVID-19, The Data and the Real World. It's where EHIV Review Program Director, Dr. Matthew Spinelli from the University of California, San Francisco, analyzes the most important current literature and where he speaks directly with frontline clinicians as they navigate a disrupted healthcare system. To access HIV and COVID-19, the data in the real world, click on the COVID-19 special edition link at ehivreview.org. Welcome back to this EHIV Review Podcast. 
We've been talking with Dr. Kathleen Page and Nurse Owen Smith from the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine about managing some of the challenges care teams often encounter when providing HIV care for undocumented Latinx individuals. Let's turn now to our second learning objective, best practices to address the HIV prevention challenges faced by the same Latinx population. So take us back to the clinic, if you would, please, Owen. Yeah, so here we have a 24-year-old seronegative Latinx MSM that presents to your STI clinic for testing and treatment after syphilis exposure. He discuss HIV prevention and pre-exposure prophylaxis, and he expresses some interest but is reluctant to agree to begin PrEP treatment. So this patient will listen to you, but he's still not convinced enough to actually start PrEP. Uh, from your experience, Owen, what barriers or beliefs are likely to be influencing his decision to decline PrEP therapy? Immigration status could be playing a role here as well. As we mentioned before, patients might believe that because of their immigration status that they might not be eligible for assistance to take PrEP medication or pre-exposure prophylaxis or that they might not be able to pay for the care that would be involved in that. And so it's important to to understand whether that is something that might be causing him to be reluctant. HIV-related stigma could also be affecting his decision to wait on prevention. He might feel like if he's taking a medication that's designed for HIV, if someone sees him taking that medication, that they might mistakenly think that he is HIV-infected. Also, his sexual orientation might not be something that he has shared with his friends or his family, and so he might be afraid that taking PrEP might cause him to inadvertently have to disclose that status. And he may also have some mistrust for conventional medical care or believe that there's already a cure for HIV. Dr. Page, anything to add to that? I would also emphasize distrust of medical care and medical institutions. A lot of people are unfamiliar, and immigrants in particular may be afraid of seeking medical care because of repercussions on their immigration status. Thank you, Dr. Page. Now, some of the barriers that have been brought up are related to, well, let's let's call it a social context, while other barriers appear to be related specifically to knowledge gaps the patient has about PrEP and HIV treatment. What are some of the ways you found to address those social and knowledge gaps? Owen? Similar to what we were talking about with people living with HIV, in this case, using a bilingual or culturally competent PrEP navigators, such as a peer PrEP navigator who may also be taking pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV, may be very helpful because in this case, some of the cultural and social barriers that this patient might be experiencing, a navigator might be able to relate and may be able to understand and, and address those. For example, the lack of knowledge about financial assistance uh, prep navigator could help this individual to access and to know what assistance is available to him to understand that this will not negatively affect him because of his immigration status. And just to be able to describe the process of applying and help him apply for those financial programs that could help him with the, the different costs that might be involved. Also, if there's educational material that, that's available that's culturally and linguistically appropriate, that's very important. There are available materials and videos online that could be used. And just practicing cultural humility with this patient, whether it's the peer navigator or the provider working with them, to understand that, you know, not to come across as judgmental towards the patient because of his concerns and any misinformation that he might have. And, and finally, just to address HIV prevention holistically, not only focusing on PrEP, but also on condom use and testing and treatment so that the patient knows that we're interested in them as a person and not just as the, the risk for HIV, but to, to really look at it holistically so that they can feel involved in the decision. Thank you, Owen. Uh, Dr. Page, I want to come back to you now because I want to change the subject. I want to ask you about the COVID-19 pandemic. 
What impact do you believe it's had on HIV treatment and prevention efforts among undocumented Latinx individuals? COVID-19 impacted undocumented immigrants in a really profound way. And so they were one of the most heavily impacted groups in the nation, actually. And that crisis revealed a couple of things. One, gaps in services and bilingual personnel serving the Latinx community. So there really weren't enough in many places, contact tracers, et cetera, public health workers who spoke Spanish and were able to help these patients. And how did this impact HIV? Well, COVID in general decreased the use of walking, testing, treatment, all the outreach activities that were being done for HIV were redeployed for COVID. And in particular, the few outreach workers that spoke Spanish were all redeployed to do COVID work. And that really reduced opportunities for timely diagnosis, prevention, and treatment for people with HIV. And so I think that was the biggest impact. On the positive side, during COVID, we've all learned how to use telemedicine, phones, and doing outreach in different ways. And I think that will hopefully translate as well for future HIV work. Thank you, doctor. And thank you both for bringing us this case. Let's wrap things up now by reviewing our conversation as it applies to our learning objective, which is to describe best practices to address the HIV prevention challenges faced by undocumented Latinx populations. What are the key things our listeners should take away from this case discussion? Owen, start us out, please. Yeah, first of all, I would say that we discussed the fear of stigma, the fear of immigration status-related barriers, financial concerns, possible mistrust for conventional medicine, and just the need for culturally and linguistically appropriate services is something that's very important. It's also really important to remember that undocumented immigrants can access PrEP therapy through pharmaceutically funded financial assistance programs, and all states fund HIV STI testing, prevention, and treatment programs. Finally, as we mentioned before, the use of navigators is something that is really important. And so using bilingual staff and bilingual navigators can help to address the cultural educational and linguistic barriers to PrEP uptake that might be there among Latinx and especially undocumented Latinx that are at risk for HIV. From Johns Hopkins University, Dr. Kathleen Page, Nurse Owen Smith, thank you for joining us for this EHIV Review podcast. Thank you, Bob. It was our pleasure to have this conversation with you. Thank you very much, Bob. It was a pleasure for me to be with you and Dr. Page today. For EHIV Review, I'm Bob Pusker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at ehiv.gkpmed.com. EHIV Review is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Janssen, and Merck & Company Incorporated. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. EHIV Review is copyright, with all rights reserved, by DKB Med, LLC. Thank you for listening.